Hey, welcome to the latest episode of Shit We Don't Talk About, powered by Helix Interactive. We're wrapping up the birth and death series with Sarah Kerr of Sacred Death Care, a movement that supports dying and grieving people in a different way. Tune in. It gets good. Here we go. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Mia. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. I am very excited to talk with you. As some of you know who have been listening to the podcast, we have been covering the topic of death profusely. And I think there's more to talk about. And uh, that's what Sarah is here today. I found you online and got so excited with your content. And I was so glad you graciously agreed to come on the show today. Well, thanks. I appreciate being here. Yes. Tell us a little bit about you, and then we're going to dive into a very juicy topic. So I am a death doula and a ritual healing practitioner and a trainer. I live in Canada and Victoria on the southern tip of Vancouver Island, and I've been at this for, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years. I kind of lose track somewhere in there. So I work with dying people and their families, and I also train students who want to become practitioners or who just want more skill in this area to be able to meet death better themselves. And I often call myself clergy for the unchurched. I focus on the spiritual aspects of death and dying. There's a big field of death doulas and people look at different components of it. My work is really for people who see death as part of their soul's journey. They recognize it as a sacred phenomena. They want to meet it in a sacred way, but they don't necessarily have maybe an established spiritual or religious tradition or teachings in their cultural, social container to help them do that. So I, you know, I have a broad spiritual but not religious nature-based spiritual approach. If if that resonates for you, then how do you meet death through that? And I um, offer kind of spiritual guidance. What's happening as you die to your soul? What's happening after you die? And help build spiritual community so you can have support around that and yeah, give some direction in a time when you, the rug gets pulled up from underneath you and it's often quite confusing and overwhelming. I love that because when you're bringing in that aspect about religion, I mean, that's when shit gets messy. I mean, you can really, you can, you can have this, this overall idea about death, but then what people bring into from their, either their programmed religion upbringing or the, oh, any of that guilty, gross junk, right? I bet you really help to get rid of that. Yes. I mean, most people, it's true that, that are, are really young programming sometimes comes back mm-hmm. and sometimes it, we need some help finding our way through that. I mean, sometimes it comes back and it's helpful. So it's it's really all across the board. The people who come to me may have had either a religion they grew up in that was fine, but it doesn't answer all their questions, or it didn't serve them and they've stepped away from it. So they've mostly kind of left that, but they haven't found a new place to plant themselves, Mm. a new spiritual map for Mm. what the soul's journey is. And that's that's what I do is offer a map. In fact, I have online courses you can download if you're facing death or someone you know is that, that offer a really pragmatic kind of step-by-step map of what's happening and how do you engage with it. And that is such a great point too of that you may have gotten rid of and jettisoned the things that didn't serve you, but you're really not sure which way to go. That's a, I, I've spent a lot of time in that in my adult years and that very sort of lonely place because you knew there was something initially in that upbringing that did make you feel 
belong and like you had a belonging, but then you, once you realize that that's not serving you, there's that little lonely, oh, what's that called? Purgatory. <laughs> there you go. There's the religious <laughs> speaking right up. Yeah, yeah. Kind of in between zone. Yeah, it really is. How do you, and we'll, then we'll dive in, but have you had people that are not facing death and are not facing someone who's dying or their own death who realize that this is going to serve them to start looking that, at this even proactively? Oh, yeah. Lots of people who... Because that's me. <laughs> exactly. Take my classes or come to me for one-on-one work. I say I work with deathly issues. So for some people, they're healthy and fit and death is not anywhere on the apparent horizon, but something in them just says, I want to, I want to know more about this because I know someone in my life is going to be facing this soon, or I might be facing it soon. And it's a topic that we've really pushed so far to the background. We've made so taboo that people have a big black hole of knowledge about it. We just don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a nothingness. And when it comes time to face it, lots of people realize they don't have any skills. You know, we, we understand that sex education is important that you are a healthier person if you know all about these aspects of the physical and the interpersonal aspects mm-hmm. of intimacy and sexual relationships. Death is the same way. There is a physical and pragmatic aspect of it, but there's also a relational and spiritual aspect. And the more we know about it, the easier it is. I'm going to segue just for a second and ask if there was something really specific that happened to you that got you into this business. There's a few different paths that I came in, but really the most, I guess, direct and personal is that my dad had a stroke about, I can't even remember the math on it, about 14 years ago, maybe 13 years ago. And he um, had been, he was 75 and he was very fit and healthy and had a really big stroke, which left him pretty cognitively present, but mm-hmm. physically really diminished and in long-term care for seven or eight years after that. Mm-hmm. And that was really my first experience of mortality. He didn't die, but it was a kind of social death, which is its own kind of death. Um, and I realized I didn't have any skills for this and I didn't know how to face it. And it was going to happen again. And I wanted to know how to face it. So that was, that was a big part of my stepping onto this path. Another big part was that I've always been sensitive. I've always been sensitive to energetic information, spiritual information, I'm aware, and there are lots of people who are like this, aware of things in the space that other people who aren't so attuned to those things aren't aware of. And it, you know, for a long time, I was embarrassed or, you know, it gets judged in Western culture a lot, being sensitive, especially to energies, colors. If I'm in a room where the colors are really jarring, it is physically uncomfortable for me you know, cell phone frequencies, all that stuff. It's like, like bats can hear things we can't hear. Dogs can hear things we can't hear. People are wired differently and some are really sensitive. And so my sensitivity to both what's happening energetically, but also what's happening spiritually with, between this world and the next, it took me a while to kind of figure out how to make sense of that and how to realize that that's a gift and a skill and that this is a way to use that in service to the people in my community. Right. If you don't understand it, it can feel like a huge detriment Mm -hmm. and such a weakness. And I, I talk a lot about this on the podcast in my personal life too, of, of that being in the world of patriarchy, which loves action and movement and just 
certainty and not and not, and none of this this looks like weakness to people as opposed to it being something you can parlay or put into a way to go ooh and not feel overwhelmed by it. Oof, what a superpower. That's a flip. That's absolutely a flip. Well, that would be a good segue to talk about what I want to focus in on. I know you have several different things that are part of your business, but I love this this class that you have. Is it, is it a class or a yeah, course? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's a download, downloadable online course. Yeah. I'm going to say a lot of big words. Everybody get ready for it. Awakening the archetype of the death walker. Ooh, like they gave me goosebumps when you said it out loud too. So I would love to dive into that because I think there are so many people. I mean, there's there's a lot out there on social media and and just in general where it talks about uh, being a uh, being an empath or you're empathic, and I, I think that can be broadly used, right? Um, so I feel like this is a good deep dive. So let's talk about that because I, I think there are a lot of people this could help. Okay, perfect. Yes, I, it's a favorite topic of mine. So, it. awakening the archetype of a death walker. Let's break that down a little bit. Um, an archetype. Archetypes are. I think of them as a kind of spiritual DNA. It's they shape us, and there are different archetypes that activate in different people in different ways. You might be expressing the archetype of the athlete or the archetype of the clown or the archetype of the parent. You know, there's many, many, many different kinds of archetypes that are universal human phenomena that express through people. And the death walker is one of those archetypes. It expresses itself through people. And in a healthy culture, when a child started to come downstairs in the morning and say, oh, I was talking to dead people in my dreams last night. Oh, the parents would think, oh, okay. And they'd start to track. And mm-hmm. just like if a child showed an incredible gift for a certain kind of sport or a certain kind of artistic or creative pursuit or science or anything, you would support them and facilitate them and send them to hockey camp or get them painting lessons so that this natural skill they had was nurtured and developed. And this, I'm calling this death walker archetype. Uh, it is one of those natural skills. I guess it's a, it's a hu- expression of human gift that comes through people. Mostly when people start to express that, it looks like really strong sensitivity to things that maybe other people aren't sensitive to looks like an interest in death and dying and dead people Mm -hmm. in a culture that doesn't like talking about that. So when it starts Mm -hmm. to express itself through people, when they're young or sometimes it doesn't happen until you're older, the culture says, you're weird, you're too sensitive, you're too macabre, oh, you're talking about this, stop talking about death, don't be so morbid. So instead of welcoming and validating and developing the way we're met in dominant Western culture is by being shut down. And it's tragic in a few different ways. It's it's really hard for the person who's experiencing it because we have mm-hmm. this inner impulse and we, we we judge it and we don't know what to do with it and we're not it's not reflected. But also meeting death well as a culture depends on having people who know how to meet death well. And right. if we don't support this in people, we won't get people who know how to do that, who know how to help people move from this side of the veil across the river and land on the far shore, who really understand the soul's journey 
out of the body and into the next phase. Mm. So I get pretty passionate about this, about giving people language to understand what they're experiencing and then giving people tools to then be able to start to develop this so it becomes useful. And lots and lots of people come to me and they, they've just heard the word death doula and just learned the tiniest bit about it. And suddenly the bells went off for them. Sure. Oh, this is me. This is me. All my life, all these pieces somehow fit together in a way that they never fit together before. And that's really exciting. And you made a great point too of it not being so popular in Western culture. I mean, that is that is just not something that we embrace at all. Or if we do, it's it's turned into these really big, you know, gross overstatements or over over categorizing them too. And I was going to ask you this, and I feel like you answered it, but I'll say it anyway. It sounds like archetypes then are innate as opposed to a learned behavior. I would think the learned behavior would be to not show that side because it's not accepted. Yes. And archetypes, absolutely, they're innate and they both emerge through us and are around us. There is an active archetype of this that we are embedded in. It's it's part of the collective unconscious. And they're innate, they're, um, they emerge whether or not our culture understands them. We can't mm. help it. It just, in, in every group of 100 people, you'll have some number, whoever those people are, who carry this propensity. Mm. Do you think that there are people that, uh, because I know there are death doulas and, and again, I will, be, I am one of those people that had not heard that phrase at all. And I, I had an experience, uh, I, honestly, it kind of came up for me. I've said this a few times in other interviews with the, what was called the Marshall fire here in Colorado that happened at the end of the year, which was really a, a tragic loss, not necessarily of human life, a lot of pets and a lot of property that was damaged really quickly. And then I've also had some friends that have had some untimely deaths in their family too, but it really got me thinking about planning a number of folks that just had, had no access to any of their, their things. And then I just started thinking about planning. And then of course comes along with, you know, planning for, oh my gosh, is everything insured? Am I insured? And so then I started, then I sort of looking around too, just with the death piece and her death doulas. And so it just, it really did resonate for me as well. And probably more on a, my gosh, I would love to be, I would love to have that aspect of myself educated enough to provide comfort or enough direction to go to the right direction. Right. So that wouldn't necessarily be something I would, you, I would say was going to be a, a, a job or a career, but an aspect of, of what I do as an empath, as a feeler, as someone who really experienced those sensitivities that were just so not accepted in society. Oh my gosh, it's so painful, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, we're, we're coming to it in Western culture from, a, from a, we've fallen below and we're trying to come back up to a healthy way of meeting death. And so where mm. that's starting is with people who are really taking this on as big life projects, career changes and movements towards it. And these folks are kind of leading the parade, but really ideally it lifts everybody up until death becomes a much more um, spoken about topic and we become as a whole much more literate about it. So, you know, so you don't necessarily need a death doula for everything because in your community, in your family, in your group of friends, 
there's just an elevated level of awareness about how to meet this. So I say my courses are for death doulas, end of life professionals, and everyday mortals, because really we all need it. Elevated level of awareness. As you can see, I'm taking notes because I love these little juicy bond mots that are that are coming out of that. So tell me a little bit more what what the process would be or or really how that how that's helped people as they take these courses. Well, uh, I'm sure you'll be at the link to my website somewhere related to this. Yes, have, in the show notes, absolutely. Yes, I have a free course called An Introduction to Psychopomp Beings. So psyche is soul and pomp means guide. So psychopomp beings are soul guides. They are the spiritual beings who conduct the dead from this world to the next. Mm. And they are also archetypal. So they show up in every culture. They have a different form, but they're the same energy. And they often appear to people as they're dying and appear to caregivers and family members as someone's dying. These spirit beings begin to make themselves visible through visions and dreams and all sorts of beautiful and magical ways. So a first step, if this is calling you, is to check out that course. It's a downloaded four-video short little course, and it gives you an entry into this frame. Mm -hmm. And then the next one would be to explore the the course on Awakening the Archetype of the Death Walker. And that really, for lots of people, the bells go off with that. It it makes sense. I wonder how hard it is for folks who are absolute naysayers when they're presented with this undeniable things like this, either signs or, you know, seeing information. Tell me about that. Have you had people that have come to you that have just been like, holy shit, what just happened to me? Sometimes, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's completely outside their worldview. Mm. I find it's interesting. I do a lot of spiritual work. I have a lot of training in shamanism. And I, in my life, I'm involved in lots of things that for many people would be outside the realm of what's normal or possible. And most people aren't that interested or open to hearing about that. But as soon as someone is facing their own death or the death of someone they love, suddenly these questions become more interesting Mm. and they have a little more space because if this person is dying and the only perspective they have is the lights around they're gone that's not a a story that gives much space for healing but if then there's an opportunity to see a different map a different way of being with this people are interested and open in a way that they're not so um people who are super naysayers are probably not really coming to me that's not the people i speak to but the the ones who really come to me know there's something, but they don't really know what it is or how to talk about it or how to describe it. And maybe they want to talk to people in their family about it and they need some language that allows them to take what they experience and know in their bodies to be true and describe that to people who don't necessarily understand it. Oh, I love that. Hey, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to finish this conversation. Hang on one second. Okay. And we're back. So what are some other interesting archetypes? Because I am loving these different, I'm learning a lot on this podcast, which I love. What are some other archetypes that are typical in this or that come up with this type of work specifically on the awakening the death walker, or at least just talking about sensitivities? Well, the way I hold it is that there is an archetypal structure to the process of death and bereavement, because 
that's two sides of the same coin, really. It's, it's, a, it's an experience which touches some people in one way and some people in another. There's a, there's a deep structure in that archetypal process. And we can learn what that structure is and lean into it. So one aspect of that archetypal structure is a death walk, right? Having that human person who helps support. Another aspect of that archetypal process is the psychopomp beings. You know, you could call those the angels of death. Right. That those are another aspect of it. There are different different ways of understanding this world and the next, and different cultures and spiritual traditions have different frames for that. But very commonly, there's some sense of a here, mm-hmm. an in-between zone, and a there. And the living mm-hmm. are over here, the dead make this journey through this zone, sometimes it's crossing water and, you know, can look like lots of things and they're over there. So I really see those as archetypal constants. And in order to meet death, well, we need to find a way to be in relationship with them. Mm. So we need to understand what a death walker is. We need to understand what a psychopomp being is. We need to have a frame, a map. And that's the other thing I teach a lot about is these soul maps of what's a way of being in relationship with that journey from here across the in-between zone to there and what's happening as we leave our body as body and soul separate we know what happens to the body mm-hmm. what happens to the soul there's a map of that journey as it leaves this frequency of being embodied and slips into the next stage of its evolutionary journey mm. so those are all deep archetypal patterns that are expressed in every culture and if we had a strong, intact, collectively held picture, we could do that, walk that path together. But in mainstream Western culture, we don't. And we have such a mishmash of different ancestries and geographies and backgrounds that we don't have a common story or a story that we can share. So once we start to get that common story, then mm-hmm. things become possible. I love that strong, intact, collectively held. That that is so important. And I was, I was thinking as you were saying that too. Of, I kind of feel like like everything is this big funnel, and we, everybody's got these different ideas where things are going to go. And then you pass over, and I, I just, um, and I'm sure that would offend some folks. Of like, I just feel like anybody with these very strongly held beliefs are going to pass over and be like, Oh, <laughs> like it's going to be such a more of a, I, I can't believe it's segregated up there is all I can think. Right. I think, I think the image I have is layers. Like mm. there's this deep layer that everybody shares mm-hmm. that, that happens to us. It's like, we're all born the same way. If you mm-hmm. look at us through an x-ray machine, we all are built the same way. Our blood is all the same. There's these fundamental aspect of what it is to be human and perhaps other than human as well. And then there are the layers we put on top, which are cultural and metaphorical and Mm. spiritual. And those are different ways of talking about the same thing. And if they're, if they're healthy and effective, they all work. Mm. But I think once we depart this dimension and head across the veil, sometimes there's a little bit of trailing just, just to get there on the other side, it looks a bit like this but once we get on the other side there's a there's a universality and a loss of that like losing personality and Mm -hmm. the parts that make us different so here's a juicy question for you do you believe in ghosts and spirits hauntings 
uh, energy uh, that's maybe somebody that's passed over but isn't isn't peaceful. All the stuff that we see in movies. What's your belief on that? Well, there's what we see in movies, which mm-hmm. I am not going to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hollywood distorts a lot of that. So don't take what I'm saying as having anything to do with what we see in movies. Okay. Um, and it's believe is an odd question because it's mm. like, do you believe in rocks? Right. It's, I Thank have you. had experiences and I am parts of communities where people continually and regularly have these experiences. And I've seen it and I've experienced myself again and again and again that there is more to us than our physical body and that there is some continuity of consciousness, some aspect of us continues after we die. In most cases, in my experience, people are fine. They get across to the other side. If they get help, that's better. Sometimes people just make it themselves. Most times Mm -hmm. people just make it themselves. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, there are situations where people don't get across. And in that situation, the majority of the time, it's almost like someone's just pushed pause. They get stuck Mm -hmm. here in a kind of almost a repeating loop. It's Mm -hmm. very rarely malicious. It's very rarely uh, dangerous. It might be a little scary for people because it's unfamiliar. They don't understand why the lights are going on and off and why there's doors banging in their house. But it's not a threat. It's just, oh, someone's stuck and they just need a little ritual help to get across. Once in a blue moon, yeah, there can be some more um, complex energies in there. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's mostly just someone who needed to get somewhere and didn't quite get there. And they need some help getting there. Well, Google Maps. <laughs> Google Maps. Google Maps for the other world. <laughs> totally. Here's something I was just thinking about too that that I would think some of the the toughest energy that just permeates in this side of the of the plane of in our realm is grief and how ugh, palpable and how that permeates so much in our society. And I would think that getting into these type of teachings and studies would actually help to facilitate that grief and process it? Grief and loss are the primary experiences around death, whether it's the dying person losing the aspects of their life, losing their relationships, losing the relationship with their kids and their future and their dreams, or the people who stay alive, Mm. losing this person they love and the plans they had together. I mean, it's just, it's a story of loss from one end to the other. Mm -hmm. And the ritual work I do and the ceremonial work I do is really about helping create conditions and containers in which people can experience that grief without it being all happening at the same time. Sometimes grief is so overwhelming because it comes as just an avalanche onto us if we try and navigate it all. What ritual work around death and loss does is spread things out and break it down. So we ritualize this process and we're with this and then we integrate this one and then the next one. So we see their body mm-hmm. and then we have a ceremony to say goodbye to their body. And then we have a ceremony as their body's taken away. And then we have another ceremony at the funeral home as they're cremated. Then we have another ceremony where they gather with friends with close family members. And then we have Mm -hmm. another ceremony. We might have six or seven ceremonies in the Mm -hmm. week or 10 days between a death and a funeral. So people can process this part and process that part and process that part. Otherwise the grief is so big. We just seize up. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't integrate that much that quickly. 
That's so beautiful. I love how that sounds. So that there's a whole process. What culture, or I'll bring religion again, or what culture would you think does it best at this point? (laughs) I know everything must be an amalgamation of different pieces, but who do you think is getting it right? You know, I don't even know that that's a question that's answerable. (laughs) Tibetan Buddhism has a lot of wisdom about death and dying. There's a lot. There's, a, you know, hundreds of years of spiritual research into that process. They have an incredible awareness of that. There isn't a right. There's just right enough. You know, there's not one that's true above all the rest. It's just finding a practice and a map that is successful for these people in this geography, in this time, who have these values and these cultural icons. It's like there's no there's no diet that's perfect. There's mm-hmm. no music that's perfect. We have a whole bunch of different ones that meet different ways, and there's no healing modality that is the best. We just need one that's going to provide resource and healing guidance to the dying person, to the people surrounding them, and to support the ancestors. And there are lots of ways that can look. That was a great answer because what you're saying is we need to get our own recipe, (laughs) which I love. But I, again, I I love that we can pull from different, different things that we see that resonate for us as well. And I, I think that the tough thing that I've been realizing too, is the last two years have created a level of grief and isolation more than I feel in, well, certainly in my, in my lifetime. And I'm, I know you've probably seen that as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, you know, when people ask me how to die well, my advice is always build a village around you. Mm-hmm. Right? We need people around us. It takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to help somebody out. Sure. Help them leave this dimension. And so the more we can build village to support in the dying process and village to support in the grieving process. And that's been the heartbreak of COVID is that it has prevented those connections because when someone's dying, that is the thing that makes it bearable to be able to be with people and grieve together and share your love and, and to be able to be not only with the living, but to be in open communication with the ancestors and with the spirit realms. Yes. It's all about relationship, relationship on this side of the veil, relationship on that side of the veil. Mm-hmm. Death is really hard, but it can be bearable if we have the resources of connection and love. I love that. I had heard somebody say the other day, they were talking about, you know, we we're, we do a lot of like healing, the ancestral healing and talking about all this old stuff that maybe got passed down to us. And then somebody reminded me that then there are also these lovely ancestors and things that were beautiful that you also got to inherit. And I, I think sometimes we focus so much on the the gross baggage that, that we shouldn't have and forget all these lovely folks that went before us too. And I really am pretty keen on not separating them into the good ones and the bad ones. Perfect. It's like separating people in this world into the good and the bad. Mm. Good point. A line between good and bad runs through the middle of every human heart, as the saying goes. Because I'm good and bad also. Yep. And so <laughs> the ones who we inherit um, are challenges, and mm-hmm. the ones where, where there's a need for healing may also have been ones who overcame incredible challenges and bring mm-hmm. us incredible strength. Mm. 
Thank you for that. Oh, that's beautiful. Gives us hope too. And again, you're right, not just making these very definitive judgments. It's a, it's a wonderful little soup too. So, all right. Well, any last parting fun little salvos of information or advice you'd like to give? There's so much. I think it depends on the person, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just to, um, to recognize that death is hard and it's sad. Those are parts of it. That's it. It's like having a baby hurts. It's hard. That's just part of the system. Running mm-hmm. a marathon is hard too. Mm-hmm. These things are hard. And with death, there's a lot of grief. But it's not scary and it's not dangerous. Mm-hmm. And if we can find the resources to support us through the hard parts and to hold us through the sad parts, we can actually do it in a way that can be quite beautiful. Mm. We don't need to be afraid that. of it. Yeah. I love that there's a way that you, you know that it's going to be hard, but there's things you can do to make it not that hard. Make it bearable. That's <laughs> Make the goal. it bearable. Yes. It can be bearable. Yes, it can. I have one more funny, odd question for you. Do you have a favorite swear word or favorite swear phrase? <laughs> I, you know, the one that just popped in my head. I, I don't use it that much, but it's one of my mom's. And when she gets, it has a whole. Um, I'm laughing got, already. It's got hand movements. And so she takes her fists and she brings them up and she shakes them back and forth like she's like shaking rattles or something. And she goes, shit house mouse <laughs> I'm so glad I asked you I was like I was pre-giggling knowing it was going to be that good and it yeah. was oh shit house mouse <laughs> and thank you for that because I might borrow it from your mom and in, in yes. uh, just moments I love that that's so cute Sarah thank you so much and where can we find you uh, my website is sacreddeathcare.com pretty straightforward and there are resources and links and a newsletter you can join. I'm also active on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, lots of, lots of links from there. And uh, yeah, there are lots of ways you can get involved and I love to connect with anyone who's called to these questions. Thank you so much. We'll have all the links in the show notes and Sarah, we, I so appreciate talking with you today. Thanks very much, Mia. Thank you. Check out all the great information that Sarah has to offer at sacreddeathcare.com. And make sure to listen in to all of the birth and death episodes. I know you'll find some takeaways in each one of them. Because let's face it, each one of us has been birthed, and for sure, we're all going to die. So let's not be afraid of it. If you like this episode, please do all the things. Subscribe, give it a like, a heart, thumbs up, follow, and leave a review, especially if it's a good one. If you like the podcast and you really want to show it, head on over to shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. Click on the Patrons button and become a full-time supporter of the podcast. And if you want your very own podcast, but you don't know where to start, go to helix-interactive.com and get yourself some. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye.